so glad to be able to be here today to talk to you about probably one of the most important things I can share with you in your whole lifetime. Today I want to talk to you about the decision for life. It's really about decision-making in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we really celebrate the resurrection, if we really believe that Jesus is alive, then it's got to impact our daily lives, not just once a year, not just celebrating the way we do today or this weekend, but it really has to impact our whole lives. And if a man rises from the dead, what he says is vitally, vitally important. So the decision for life, if you have your Bibles, I'm gonna talk from one verse today, one verse that's going to explain the most important decisions you'll make in your lifetime. And that's in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul is writing in the book of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. But before we get to that verse, and as we talk about that verse in just a moment, I want to talk to you about decision-making in general. You know, a poll recently that was made among celebrities and then another poll of a similar nature made with others asked the question, what was the most important decision you ever made in your life? Blake Shelton country western singer. The best decision I ever made was two weeks out of high school when I moved to Nashville to pursue my dream of being a country singer. If you like Blake, you might agree with him. That was a good decision. Seth Golden said, the best decision I ever made was the decision to start making decisions, to live uh, not reactively, but to initiate and to move forward like that. I like Arianna Huffington. She made this statement. She said, the best decision And she said this in all seriousness. The best decision I ever made was committing to getting eight hours of sleep a night. Somebody ought to try that sometime. And then uh, about an hour ago, someone said in response to this, about an hour ago, I put some brownies in the oven and now I have some still cooling brownies just waiting to be eaten. That's the best decision I've ever made. But on a serious note, that same question was answered by a number of people over the years. Robert Frost suggested that the best path was the least predictable one. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, he said, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Recently, someone put a tweet out asking the same question, what would you say is the most important decision? And some of the thousands of answers became very, very serious. One woman, the author of the New York Times bestseller, Blackout, answered this way. She said, I quit drinking at the age of 35. I didn't want to do it. I'd loved alcohol since I was a girl. It'd been my rebellion, my path to adventure, my identity, my life companion, and eventually my undoing. And that decision changed my life. Someone else said, that's a loaded question. They said, the most important decision I've ever made was the decision to forgive. It's freed my life and heart from suffering, from bitterness, from fury, and has been the greatest gift in crafting a supple and resilient life to forgive others. As I read this verse in just a moment, I'm going to suggest that Paul's statement in Galatians 2, verse 20, has to do with the most important decision that he's ever made in his life because of the resurrection of Jesus. So open your Bibles to that. And here's what the verse says, very simply, very brief, but powerful in what he says. And it's on the screen, so here's what it says. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. Now, I hope you'll keep that text open if you've got it open. And I hope you refer to that with me over these next few moments as I talk about the decision for life, because it's the most important one that you can possibly, possibly make. 
You know, Jesus spoke a great deal about life. For example, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And I would ask you today, are you living life like that? You know, not just biological life and not just breathing and staying on your feet, but are you living life more abundantly? Do you have what Jesus said was possible for us to have? That's a great question to ask on Resurrection Sunday because Jesus also said about life, I am the resurrection and the life. You're going to find not only the power to come back from the dead, the power to have life on the other side of death, but I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus also said in John chapter 14, verse 20, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All these promises about life, abundant life, life found in Jesus, life beyond death, all those promises about life. And my question to you today is, do you have those? In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul talks about life that can be experienced through three key decisions that you can make today. And I want to talk to you about those three decisions. First of all, Paul said, there's a once for all decision. And here's what he says. If you look back at your verse, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Man, what a line. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, obviously, when Paul wrote that, he was alive. And so as he writes back to the cross, he said, something powerful, something unusual happened to me because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you know Paul's story, you know that Paul made a life-changing decision on the highway, a place called the road to Damascus. I did some research on that, and I was surprised to know how far that road was. I assumed that Paul was probably on a day's journey, but I learned later on that it was 136 miles from Jerusalem, where he was, all the way to Damascus in Syria, and it was 130-some miles by the crow flying, but he had to walk almost 212 miles, and those 212 miles would have taken him more than 60 hours of walking to get there. Think about that with me. If you've ever been on a long trip down a narrow highway with nobody else on the highway, all by yourself, you know what a long trip can do for you. You know that it can make you think about things you would never think about otherwise. Contemplate the meaning of life. Think about being with Paul on a 60-hour journey taking a number of days and thinking about the meaning of life. Now, at this point in his life, Paul is extremely religious. He's actually a religious terrorist. And he's made it the goal of his life to put to death those who are the followers of Jesus Christ. He actually dragged them off into persecution. He is actually one of those. He was the biggest menace to the New Testament church since Jesus rose from the dead by the time this Damascus Road experience happened. Now, Paul, with all that was going on, as zealous as he was, as fervent as he was about his religion, he had to be realizing, I'm wrong, I'm helpless, I'm needy. By this point, he had realized that all of his religious zeal was worthless and everything that he was focused on meant nothing. And that day, according to Paul, three times the story is told in the book of Acts, word for word, in a powerful way, that day Paul believed in Jesus Christ. That has a lot to do with why he said, I have been crucified with Christ. Now we're all on a highway in life and we all, like Paul, at some point, will come face to face with the need for meaning, the need for purpose, the need for forgiveness, the need for life, just beyond biological life, my heart is still beating kind of life. 
I had a friend in, uh, back in graduate school days. His name was Johnson Lee. Johnson came over from Korea to find a better way of life. And uh, in coming over, he saw the claims of Christ, resisted them for years, and finally one day on a road trip on I-35 from Dallas to Kansas, he hit a place on that road called Johnson Road. There's an exit there. And as he was contemplating the meaning of life, struggling with the conviction of the reality of Jesus, whether Jesus was real, he came up on Johnson Road while driving up north on 35, and the Lord spoke to him in a powerful way. He said to me, he said, it was my Damascus Road experience. And when I saw Johnson Road, God just became very real to me. He said, Johnson, this is your road. You need to get off the direction you're going in and give your life to me. And that day, he said, I believed in Jesus Christ. And in the same way that Paul said it, Johnson Lee could say, that day I was crucified with Jesus Christ. So Paul's made this once-for-all decision, and we make those once-for-all decisions. Paul's now 10 years on the other side of it. He's looking back, and with this statement, he said, something happened to me on the cross. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, Paul, in his wording, uses an unusual phrase in the original language that literally says, I have been co-crucified with Christ. Not side by side. He wasn't saying, I was next to Christ when he was crucified. He was saying, I was in Christ when he was crucified. That is, Paul by this time understood that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of all mankind. He died for your sins. He died for my sins. And Paul understood he died for his sins. And so he said, I have been co-crucified with Christ. What a powerful concept. Think about that. Think about what that means for your life. Because the once-for-all decision is impacted by how real you believe it is that Jesus died for your sin. Think of it. All the condemnation that that sin would bring up, all the judgment that that sin deserved, all the separation that that sin involved, all of that paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm saying with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. Christ died on the cross for me as well as for you, as well as for Paul. What happened at the cross? When John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He also made this statement. And this statement ought to haunt us day in and day out because it says something about his motivation. Greater love has no man than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. Does that impact you the way it impacts me? The fact that someone loves me enough to lay down his life for me? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine anyone else laying down their life for you? Jesus said, I lay it down for you because of love. And then the Old Testament prophet, speaking ahead of the cross of Jesus, made this statement about what happened at the cross. And I don't think you can get any clearer than this. But here's what it said about the cross. All of we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord, that is God, has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Christ. That is, God supernaturally laid my sin, your sin, Paul's sin, and every human being sin on Jesus Christ when Jesus died on the cross, and there it was paid for. And in that way, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, it's not easy to understand exactly how all that works. I know I struggle to understand that, but this statement helps me. Positionally, Christ died for us. Experientially, 
that takes place when we accept his death in our place. So it is a once for all decision when we come to the place of saying, I know the fact that Jesus died on the cross, but I'm going to experience that by believing he did it for me and by trusting him to forgive me of my sins. And what really happens is what he offers in the way of forgiveness and life is so powerful, I'm willing to turn from everything else I'm trusting in and trust him once for all. Somebody said it like this. They said, I give up on all I can do in order to trust what you can do. Another person said, I die to self, to all I know, so that I can live a wholly different life. It's a conscious decision. It's a momentary decision that's made for eternity. George Mueller, a great, a great man of faith in the previous century, made this statement in one of his writings. He said, one day, George Mueller died. And the idea was what Paul was saying. I've been crucified with Christ. And the old me, George said, died. And there was no more because I became very much new. I want you to look at a picture of a cross for a moment. And I want you to notice some things about that cross that are true about us if we make that once for all decision to follow Jesus Christ. First of all, I want you to notice that the man is only facing in one direction. The unique thing about the cross is it forces us to only look one way. Secondly, I want you to notice that the man is not going back. He's not gonna go the way he was before. He's only facing one direction and only one can he go in. He's not going back. Number three, the man on the cross has no further plans. He has no personal plans. He has no future plans. He knows death is going to be real for him. And in a very real way, when we put our lives in the cross of Jesus Christ, we say, it's no longer me, it's you, Christ. I have no further plans, no future plans. I'm not going back. I'm only looking one way, and I'm looking in the direction that you're leading him and me in. It's a once-for-all decision. Now, let me just say to you, and I've talked with thousands of people over the years that have made this once-for-all decision, God puts us in a process sometimes to get us ready for that. Paul was in a process of frustration, being pressed on every side, his life filled with hatred and anguish towards other people, unforgiveness real. The inability to please God through his religion was something that dragged him down. It was a process that eventually led him to Christ. Johnson Lee would say the same thing. Johnson Lee said, I found success in different areas, but I was very, very much empty, asking about the purpose and meaning of life, resisting everything I knew about Jesus until I came to my fork in the road where the Lord revealed himself and said, this is your exit. You get off here and now. God sometimes lets us go through worse before it gets better. Sometimes he lets us have amazing success and then realize that we're empty. But the bottom line on it is, God has us in a process until we can say there's only one way, and that is to give my life to Jesus Christ. What a picture to be able to say like Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. And maybe you haven't made that decision today, but you can, and I want you to know I'm going to share with you how. But Paul goes further in just a few moments. In this text, he says not only this once-for-all decision, but something else has characterized his life. Go back to the verse, verse 20 of Galatians chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ, he says. That's the once-for-all decision. And then he talks about the daily decision. And in that, he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the older translations, the King James Version says, not I, but Christ. 
What a powerful three words. Not I, but Christ. Let me tell you, for that to be real, it has to be daily. It has to be daily. Because I'm often my worst enemy in living the Christian life. Not I, but Christ. If I make a once-for-all decision to have my sins forgiven, then, then what lets me carry that on beyond the moment and beyond just what happens in eternity? What, what's more to that than just knowing that when I die, I'll go to heaven forever and ever to be with Christ? What lets me live every day? This lets me live every day the way Christ says I can live with the abundant life he talks about. To be able to say, I have a daily decision to make, not I, but Christ. Let me tell you what this means. It means the I is gone. The eye is gone. We recognize that we've been crucified with Christ. We put it to death. Now, past acts of sin and the effects of sin are done away with. Judgment, separation, condemnation, shame, all that's washed away. Paul acknowledges that. Here's what he says, Colossians 3, 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I have to be honest with you. I've done so many things that I'm embarrassed and ashamed of in my lifetime. I'm really, really glad that when I came to Christ, my life became hidden with Christ and God. Can you amen that one? I mean, it's amazing that my life is hidden, that my life has now had forgiveness and, and restoration. But when I come to the cross, I have to realize not only is my life past hidden with God, but I am completely hidden with God myself. Paul explains how to live that way. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, here's what he says. Regarding the daily decision, regarding how I go forward, once I gave my life to Christ, he said, knowing this, this is key, for you to know how to live the daily life, you must know this, that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that our body of sin might be done away with. That line is important. Why? So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. This is the key. The thing that holds us back is that we're often living as though we're slaves to sin, slaves to self, slaves to selfishness, slaves to living my own way. What keeps me from the daily life is not being able to say, not I, but Christ. So how does this help me do that? The word Paul uses when he says the body of sin is done away with is a word that means to neutralize, to neutralize, to disengage. Let me explain what I mean. When I was going to graduate school years ago, uh, I bought the cheapest car I could possibly buy to drive because I was working part-time going to school. It seemed like it was going to take forever to get through school. And so I bought a Volkswagen Beetle, 1970 Volkswagen Beetle, for $50, and it was not worth $50. <laughs> I know it's hard for you to imagine me in a Volkswagen Beetle, but I drove 6'5", 250 pounds of me everywhere. I can't believe that little engine actually got me from one place to the other, but it did, and it did faithfully. But it had one unique problem. This Volkswagen Beetle has um, a way that you press the accelerator, and it has a cable tied all the way to the back where the engine is, and sometimes that little wire cable would get caught up, and it would stay fully engaged, and so no matter whether I took my foot off the gas or not, it was going full speed with all three horsepower or whatever it had in that engine. And I had to come to realize that I needed to figure out a way to untangle that cable so that I could slow down, you know, the normal way and not by running into a truck or something. And I would reach down with my long arm and untangle that from time to time. But I also learned another trick to this. When I couldn't reach down and untangle the cable, even though the engine was going full speed, I could disengage the transmission into neutral. 
and I would neutralize the power of the engine, which allowed me to bring the car under control. Now, the reason I share that story with you is not to give you a vivid imagery that you can't get out of your mind of me being in an old Volkswagen Beetle, but the reason I'm giving that story is because that's what Paul is saying happens to our racing engine in our bodies. The temptation, the desires, the things that we want sometimes for ourselves are contrary to what Christ calls us to. But the Bible says the body of sin has been neutralized through the power of Christ. It's been disengaged. You may still have a racing engine because you still have your body and you still have the same mind, but you do not have to go there because of the power of Christ. He gives us the ability to say no, the ability to say, not I, but Christ, because of the cross. The cross does not only forgive us of sin, but it also breaks the power of that sin in our lives. But it's a daily decision. It means that I can't and won't be master anymore. It means I give up on self. It means I say, as one said, I can't do it. He never said I could. He can do it. He always said he would. Wayne Barber used to say that all the time. What a statement. What a statement. But for us to understand that that statement is real for us, we have to understand the greatest enemy of our lives and of us living the Christian life. And let me tell you who it is. The greatest enemy is not Satan. The greatest enemy is you. You are the greatest enemy to your own ability to live the life that Christ calls you to. J. Harold Smith was kind of a colorful preacher that preached back a number of decades ago in Little Rock, Arkansas, he never could tell what he was going to say. One Sunday morning, he got up and he said, I've been here a number of years in this city. And he said, I've created a lot of waves and a lot of people have opposed me and opposed what I believe in. And he said, but next week, I'm going to name the greatest opponent that I've faced in all my years here in Little Rock. I'm going to name him. I'm going to put him on the spot. Well, all week long, the Little Rock newspapers back in the day, the only way you got news were, were, were filled with articles about who it might be. People were speculating on the street. And that very prominent church that next Sunday, as you might imagine, was packed to capacity. Everybody was there to find out who was J. Harold Smith's greatest enemy in town. And as they all came in, he said, you know, I'm going to name my enemy today. And he said, that person is actually in the room today, so it's going to be particularly interesting because they are actually here. And so everybody was turning to each other saying, is it me? Is it you? Who is this? And he said this. He said, my greatest enemy is J. Harold Smith. My greatest enemy is myself. And he said, that's true of all of us. And I would submit to you today, that's what Paul is saying. My greatest enemy is, is not those people out there. And it's not those circumstances and situations. And my greatest enemy is not the temptations I go through in life. My greatest enemy is myself. That's why I say I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, not I, but Christ who lives in me. But you have to make that decision daily. You have the power to make it because of the once for all but you have to daily decide. That means that Christ actually lives in me. If you're asking the question, the tomb is empty, so where is Jesus? One accurate answer is he's with the Father. He's seated on the throne in heaven. But another accurate answer is he's in me. He's not in the tomb, he's in me. Paul said it like that. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He's alive. His resurrection power enables me to overcome sin and overcome all that holds me back. It's real. He's alive. I would tell you today that there are a number of people who name the name of Christ who decidedly do not live the life Christ called them to. 
All of us fail in some way. But our lives should be more characterized by the life he calls us to more so than the life we're coming from. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, he said this. Same man, Paul, said this. For if while we were enemies, that is, of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Catch this next line. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Am I saved by his death? Yes, I'm saved from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. But am I saved by his life? Yes, I'm saved from the nowness of sin. The reality of sin in my life right now, I'm saved because of the life of Jesus. It's true that we need to be saved from our sin, but it's also true we need to be saved from ourselves. From ourselves. Have you ever been saved from yourself? Have you ever been rescued from your passion? from your desires, from your tendencies, from your default mode. See, the resurrection of Jesus, if it doesn't save you from that, then what power does it really have? The Christian life is not just for the by and by. It's for the here and now. That's why Paul says, not I but Christ, the daily decision is incredibly important. And finally, that verse talks to us not only about the once for all, not only about the daily decision, but here's where it gets real. The moment by moment decision. In other words, now, now. Are you living for Christ now, this moment? The moment by moment means how you think, how you speak, how you interact, what you allow to go forward in your life and what you don't allow to go forward in your life, the now. Because Jesus, if Jesus is alive and he is, but he's got power for the now. The now says, I make moment by moment decisions because of Christ that changes my relationships. I make these decisions that change my future. I, I make these decisions about what I say, what I do, how I feel, how I respond, what I tolerate, what I don't. And these kinds of decisions make the biggest difference for those who fully follow Christ and those who don't. The now decision, the moment-by-moment -moment decision. So what do you know about the resurrection of Jesus and the moment-by-moment -moment decision? Look at this last line. The life I now live, Paul says, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And this is the key to it all. And that's what we're coming down to in this message. The life that I now live, not a religious performer, that's not what God wants, not a life of self-effort, not turning over a new leaf, but a brand new life. The life that I now live in the flesh. And all of us have these in the flesh moments where we are in our body. We will always be in our body until Jesus Christ comes back. Let me just say that Paul was making very plain. That even though I put my faith in Christ, I'm still the same man. I have a new future, a new destination. I have a new power in my life, but I'm still the same guy. I still have the same tendencies, the same default modes, the same feeling, the same everything else. But the life I now live in my body, I live differently. It's really unfortunate, the thing I would change the most, but I can. But when we come to faith in Christ, we look the same as we did before we came to faith in Christ. We look the same after as we did before. If we were ugly when we came to faith in Christ, we're ugly now. There's no way to change that. One day we'll get a new body. One day we'll look different. One day we'll be completely like Christ. But here's what does change. Not what we look like, 
but what is inside of us. You see, the eternal life we're talking about is not plastic surgery, it's heart surgery. Where you have a brand new heart. And that brand new heart means that you live in that same body, but you live differently. And here's how you do it. He said, I live by faith in the Son of God. Faith is the key. You cannot get in without. Have you ever experienced having something, possessing something, but not being able to get to it? That's kind of frustrating, getting locked out of your house. You own the house, but you can't get in. Getting locked out of your car, you own the car, but you can't get in it. Life is like that sometimes. We own something, we possess something, but you can't use it until you can get in, and you can't get in for some reason. One of my sons lives in Denver, Colorado, and he told me a story that happened to him. He flew back from another city, and when he got back to the airport, where his car was parked in Denver, they just had several days of snow, and so his little car was buried in the snow, pretty much. He almost had to dig it out, and then when he got to the car and got it cleared away, he realized that he didn't have his keys with him. His keys were left in the city he came from. And so he had no keys. It was very, very early in the morning in Denver. It was about 10 degrees. He was freezing. He had a car. And he realized, I left the key there. And the problem was, I left it locked inside the car. That's not how I taught him, by the way, when he was growing up. But that's what he did. He realized that the key to getting that car was in the car. He couldn't get in. I said, well, what'd you do? He said, well, I unscrewed the antenna and pulled the door frame back and stuck the antenna between the door frame uh, and into the interior until I poked around enough to be able to hit the automatic door locks, unlocked the door, got my key, started the car, and made it. I share that story with you because every person that's made a once-for-all decision with Christ, and you've even maybe made a few daily decisions for Christ, the moment-by-moment decision is the moment you say, what I need, I possess, but I can only have it by faith. What does that mean to walk by the power of Christ by faith? Now, let me tell you what it means. Let me give you a sentence that I believe is incredibly important for us. Here's the key to faith. Faith is a moment-by-moment -moment decision not to take matters into my own hands, but to yield my life to Christ. Let me say it again. Faith is a moment-by-moment -moment decision not to take matters into my own hands, but to yield my life to Christ. In other words, by faith, I choose not to do what I would naturally do. By faith, I choose not to do what I would normally do. By faith, I choose not to do what most people would do. By faith, I choose not to do what I used to be able to do. By faith, I choose to do what he says I should do instead. Some of you know my story, and you may remember me telling the story of being possessed by a great deal of anger as a young man, 18, 19, 20 years of old, frustrated in life, frustrated with some of the circumstances that I'd gone through. And uh, I have scars to prove that I had a problem with anger. I have scars on my hands. I have friends I've lost. I had roommates that were terrified to live with me because of my anger problem when I was going to college. At some point in my life as a believer, I realized Christ died to pay for my sins, but surely he can deliver me from this because this is going to destroy me. At some point, someone gave me some counsel about what it meant to walk in the power of Christ, to choose what the Scripture says I'm able to choose instead of what I was used to choosing. And over the course of a few short weeks, I saw what it meant to walk by faith and learn to choose 
what I have full right to choose as a believer, and that is not to go my normal way, not to go my natural way, but to step back and to believe that Christ has enough power to deliver me from that anger. And I'm so thankful I've been delivered from that anger because that anger would destroy and would have destroyed my life. I'm saying that to you because I want you to know today that whatever it is that keeps you held back from the moment-by-moment living for Christ doesn't have to hold you back. That moment-by-moment faith, that moment-by-moment decision is incredibly important and incredibly powerful when you put your faith in Christ. So why would I do this? Why would I make this decision? Paul answers that too. And here it is. The last line of Galatians 2.20 is maybe one of the most important. Why? And here's what he says. Who loved me and who gave himself up for me? What a line. Actually, the sinless son of God came and walked on planet Earth for 33 years. He laid his life down on the cross to pay for our sin because he loved me and he gave himself for me. Why would I make a once-for-all decision? Because he loved me, and he gave himself for me. Why would I make a daily decision? Because he loves me, present tense, and he gave himself for me, past tense. Why would I make a moment by moment? Why would I not just choose to go my way? Because he loves me, and he gave himself for me. You won't find greater love than that in all the world. Greater love has no man than this that he laid down in his life for his friends. Paul says you can live this walk. You can make these decisions because he loved me. He gave himself for me. You know, we spend a lot of energy remembering our sin and our failures that Jesus spent a lot of love saying we could forget and put behind us. But you have to do that by faith as well. And maybe today that's the decision you need to make. To realize that Jesus forgives you, you can put that behind you in order to move forward on a daily basis and a moment-by-moment basis. So, be forgiven. Forget the past. Live from this day forward with a once-for-all decision, practicing the day-by-day, moment-by-moment. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. I want you to think about what I've said. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to follow me in a prayer. And that prayer will be a personal prayer. It'll be a prayer of decision. And that decision is to put your faith and trust in Christ in the once-for-all way if you never have. Maybe today there are some people in this room that have just never made that decision. You know about Christ, and you, you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and you believe in historical Christianity, but it's never become personal to you like it did to Johnson Lee as he approached Johnson Road on I-35, or as it became personal to the Apostle Paul when his name was still Saul and was persecuting followers. Maybe it's never become real to you. I talk to people all the time who say, I have this consciousness and this awareness. I kind of know this, but it's never been really personal to me. And my, my heart's desire, my deepest desire today is for it to be personal for you. Because Jesus loves you and gave himself for you. So today, this is a way to make it personal. You know about what he's done on the cross and the offer he gives, the offer of eternal life. It's up to you to receive it by faith. And the way we receive this by faith is through a simple prayer. It's not for you to become religious. It's not for you to promise this or that. 
It's for you to say, I trust you and what you've done on the cross for me. I trust that you love me, that you have my best in mind. But I also believe that you can forgive me and that you will. And it's basically just saying to him, I receive the gift that you offer and I choose to follow you. So I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. It's a prayer that you can follow me phrase by phrase, silently what I pray out loud. But it needs to be intensely personal to you. And then once you've made that decision, pray that prayer, I want you just simply to let me know on this card. I'll not ask you to walk forward or stand up or raise your hand or anything like that. But I'm gonna give you a place to take the card. And when you take the card, you'll receive a new Bible. You'll receive materials that I've written just to help with the next step. But the important thing is for you to learn to live that day by day and that moment by moment. So here's the prayer. Follow me if you desire to pray it. Dear Heavenly Father, today I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. I also believe he rose from the dead three days later. Today I realize I need to make a once for all decision. And so I choose to do that. Today I trust you and your work on the cross. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and give me the gift of eternal life. Today I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to be my Savior today. I also ask you to be my Lord because I'm choosing to follow you. Help me in my day by day and my moment by moment. And I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.